Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 42. We have a lot of ground to cover today, so buckle up. We're going to be moving quick. And I do want to start with two stories, and they are both fictional. And I, I did plan to tell you that up front. And, and I want you to tell me, not out loud, in your mind. <laughs> I want you to tell me what's different. Okay, so one story, here we go. We just had the holidays. Let's assume I'm going Christmas shopping for my wife. And I'm going to the store, and I know I need to pick up a certain gift. And so I get to, let's say, the mall, and I get out of my car, and there walking kind of around the parking lot is this guy with three beautiful dogs. And I walk up to him, oh, what kind of dogs? And we start talking, and he tells me where he's from. I tell him where I'm from and where we go to church. And we're just chatting away, and I look at the clock, and oh, man, it's late. I, I just I don't really have time to shop anymore. I've got something else I've got to do. Maybe I could come back another day and get the gift for my wife. Okay, that's story number one. Story number two. I've told you before that I was a lifeguard uh, in college at a camp. So imagine I'm on duty as a lifeguard and I see a camper drowning. Serious situation. They're struggling in the water. And I get up out of the lifeguard chair and I'm about to go out. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a guy with three beautiful dogs. And I walk over to him. I say, what kind of dogs are these? They're beautiful. And we start talking. He tells me where he's from. I tell him where I'm from and where we go to church. And after a while, I look at my clock and I go, oh, my shift's over. I got to go. Maybe I can save that child tomorrow. What's the difference? I mean, one is kind of like, yeah, you shouldn't do that to your wife, but not that big a deal. The other one is serious, isn't it? So here's my question. Which one of those best represents our gospel mission in this world? Which one of those represents the gospel mission in this world? We are jumping back into the middle of this chapter and and really back into what is one teaching section where Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles. And we covered the first part of the teaching session uh, section a week, I think, before Christmas. So it's been a few weeks since we've been there. So I do want to bring you back up to date here. Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles, the 12 that he has specifically chosen among all of his other disciples. Disciple simply means a student or a learner. Jesus had many disciples, but he had appointed specifically 12 apostles. And the word apostle means one sent on a mission. So a modern-day equivalent could be a missionary, But these 12 were even more than that because he chose them for a specific mission. They would be the ones after Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven. They would be the ones that passed on his teaching with authority to the early church. And so he's sending them out in a training mission, as far as I can tell, in Matthew chapter 10. And they are to proclaim, we see this in verse 7, the message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the exact same message that Jesus himself began his public ministry with. And he tells them to trust God on their journey, that God will supply all their needs. They're not to take an extra cloak or extra money. They are to trust that God will provide for them. And in verses 14 through 15, he indicates that some people will not accept them or their message, but they need to keep going. So we talked about that several weeks ago. So we're jumping right back into that passage in verse 16 
where God now is going to talk, or Jesus, God, is going to talk about the difficulty of that mission. And it's interesting because he's really training these young guys up and getting them on board, and he is about to lay out for them just how awful this is truly going to be. And he does not mince words at all. He's going to challenge them that they need to trust him in all things. And he's going to give them very specific instructions and details about what's going to happen as they go out around the countryside in their area and they spread the gospel. And many of these instructions apply to us today because the gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus sending all believers go into all the world and take the gospel. Acts picks up that same theme that this was the the call to the early church, go into all the world and take the gospel. It is still our mission today. And the difficulties that Christ describes are still happening. You know, this week was a crazy week. We watched things on the news that I think many in this country thought would never happen. People storming our Capitol building. It's just another link in a long chain of political upheaval upheaval in our country. And I'm sure even right now as I'm saying these things, there are people on different sides of this. Like, I'm glad this happened. I'm not so glad this happened. And some of you don't agree with each other. Some of you don't agree with me. And I think that's okay. As long as we make sure that the mission of the gospel supersedes all of that. And if I could be so bold, I do believe the church today is failing in that. I think we have allowed other things to distract us from the mission. We have had allowed so many guys with so many dogs come along. And we went, I'm all for Jesus. Oh, look at the pretty dogs. And it's one thing if we can just go back and go shopping again and get the gift. It's another thing if people are dying and going to hell. Jesus is about to send his disciples out into great difficulty. We are still sent into great difficulty today. So let's look at what Jesus says and how we can apply it to our situations today. And not just the situations of this week, but of all weeks and all time. Okay? Now, let's start with looking at how Jesus sends them out into great difficulty. I've divided this section, this text, into three sections. What I'm going to do is read each section in its entirety. They're quite long, but I want to read them and set them before us. And then we'll kind of pick through it verse by verse. When we do that, I'll put it up on the screen. All right, so let's just read, starting in verse 16. I am sending you out. This is Jesus speaking to his apostles. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, 
nor servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Right away, he starts off by telling his disciples as he sends them on this journey, this mission, that this is not going to be easy. You know, if you're putting together a brochure for a trip, you don't start that way. (laughs) You talk about how great it's going to be. Jesus cuts right to the chase and says, look, guys, you need to know this is going to be tough. And I think one of the reasons he does that is because we get distracted by difficulty. When things get tough, we say, well, we must be doing something wrong. This isn't working. This must not be what Jesus wanted because Jesus really wants us all to be happy all the time. And this is not happy. It's hard. So I'm not going to do it anymore. And I love that the Son of God comes right out and says to these men, this is going to be difficult. Christians, our mission in this world is tough. It's hard. Let's look at what he says, verse 16. Right away he tells them, you are sent as sheep among wolves. Wolves aren't just sitting around going, "Eh, we just kind of want to pick on somebody. They're looking at sheep and going, food. Laser focused. This is not being sent into situations that might kind of be difficult. These, this is Jesus sending his apostles out into situations where people will be out to get them. Sheep among wolves. So what should we do? We should be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. To be shrewd as snakes, and he's not bringing in kind of the whole snake-devil situation here. He's just talking about being cunning, planning. Show wisdom. Put your brain to work. Be wise. Be careful how you do these things. And through it all, be as innocent as doves. Be above reproach. Do not use sinful ways to accomplish righteous outcomes. The ends do not justify the means when it comes to gospel work. We must be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And I love this because as Christians, we not only have to strategize how to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we need to strategize how to display the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives and in our churches. What we say has to match what we do. And then he tells them, verses 17 through 18, be on your guard. That phrase there means to take heed of, be aware of, be careful of, understand that this is coming. Be on your guard. And what do they need to know? Well, you're going to get handed over and flogged. You're going to be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. And in the context, this isn't necessarily a good thing. This isn't like, oh yeah, you're going to be highly honored and speak to these people. No, it'll be, you're going to be dragged in chains. But the outcome is the same to them. You'll have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In a bit, in verse 19, he'll say, when they arrest you, not if, <laughs> When? When they arrest you. And Jesus says all of this is on his account. Because of Jesus Christ. We should, we must, expect persecution because we are following Jesus Christ. But I think also we need to be careful that when we are persecuted, that it is because of Jesus Christ and not just because we're being obnoxious. I think far too many Christians today claim persecution. And it's not in the name of Jesus. 
It's because we are not representing Jesus. We need to understand that we will be persecuted. But we can't use this as a battle cry for crying persecution when we just don't get our way. Why is Jesus telling them these things? It's because those who are not prepared for the difficulty of the mission will inevitably give up on the mission. Or we'll seek to accomplish it in other ways. We'll try to make it easy and we'll change it and distort it and twist it. And we're seeing that all the time today. Well, if we just change this, people will accept us. And Jesus tells his apostles, they will not accept you. That's not our ultimate outcome to get people to accept us. Our ultimate goal on this mission is to present Jesus Christ. In 19 through 20, he gives them some encouraging promises. That at that time, and, and listen, every one of you, and I think this is all of us, we go, I, I just don't know. I don't know what I would say in those moments. I don't know what I would do. Jesus tells them, God will help you. The Spirit will work within you and give you the words to say. That's a powerful truth. We need to know these encouraging truths as we step out into this difficulty. Part of the difficulty that they, and I think we will still face today, is what might be called more of a private persecution. He says that family members will turn against them. Maybe you've seen that in your own life. I think it's a little less prevalent in our culture today, in our country, but it is still certainly very prevalent around the world that someone comes to know Jesus and their family turns against them. 22 to 23 keeps going about how difficult this will be. You'll be hated by everyone because of me. One who stands firm to the end will be saved. What does he mean by stand firm? Well, he means the one that keeps going on the gospel mission, that keeps trusting that the mission is worth any cost, that trusts that the gospel is what this world needs. He says in verse 23, when you're persecuted in one place, go to another. And how's this for encouragement? You'll never get it finished. (laughs) You, You won't finish this mission. Keep going. Note what Jesus doesn't tell them to do. He doesn't say, you know, when you're persecuted, sit down and argue with those people. Take them to court and try to get your way justified. Try to change the laws. Try to keep changing all their mind against you. Try to change public opinion. Try to change the media. He says, look, preach the gospel try what you can and then move somewhere else and preach the gospel there and preach the gospel there and preach the gospel there. Don't get sidetracked. Keep going on the mission of Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just send us into difficulty. He is an example of how to go through that difficulty. If we're going to follow Jesus and Jesus was ridiculed, if he was called names, if he was publicly ostracized, why do we think our situation will be any different? Jesus was called Beelzebul. That that word, it's a very foreign word to us. It means prince of demons. And it really became a slang word for the devil himself. So this is like people calling him the devil. And this is not some obscure thing that Jesus is referring to. This happened to him. In fact, Matthew recorded it in chapter 9, verse 34. 
The religious leaders looked at these miracles and said, well, that's just because of Beelzebul. He's working under the power power of Satan. Could you imagine calling the Son of God Satan? It's going to come up again in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. They're going to say the exact same thing. And it's a turning point in the book of Matthew where Jesus will turn from the Jewish people to now primarily preaching to the Gentiles because the religious leaders have rejected him at that point. And I wonder, with the gospel being so clear, with the New Testament being so clear, how much Jesus was hated Where did this contemporary notion come that if you just follow Christ, you're going to be happy all the time and everything will go perfectly and wonderful? Where did it come from? Because it didn't come from the word of God. And frankly, I think part of it came from that's what you need to say to fill the church. But it's not what you need to say to save lives. The drowning person can't just be happy as they sink beneath the waves. They need to be saved. And sometimes, as a former lifeguard, one of the hardest things to do is to convince that person that they needed to be saved in the first place. And sometimes the most dangerous situations for a lifeguard is where the person thinks they've got it. And they don't want you to help. We need to be careful because the gospel mission is so important. And we are so easily distracted. Another thing that tends to distract us, all of us universally, is fear. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about next. He's going to talk about do not be afraid. Look at verses 26 to 31. Look at how many times Jesus uses that phrase, do not be afraid. So do not be afraid of them. For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Don't be afraid. Did you catch how many times he said it? I counted three. Verse 26, 28, and 31. Some form in all three of do not be afraid. Because fear is a huge distraction. And it becomes an excuse why we don't move forward, why we shrink back from the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's sending these these men out and telling them how bad it will be, he tells them right up front, but be careful, don't be consumed by fear. And look at the reasons he gives. In verses 26 and 27, he talks about everything will be made known. You ever go through those situations? There we go. Everything will be made known. Ever go through those situations, maybe at work, and you have that, that conversation with your boss or with a coworker, and you're being persecuted, but nobody sees it, nobody knows. And you think, this is so unfair. That's part of what Jesus is challenging, but also encouraging his disciples with, to say, understand there is somebody who knows. It's the person who truly matters. It's the judge of heaven and earth. He sees and he knows. Keep going. There is nothing that is truly hidden. 
And he talks about the reverse too. He says, look, I've told you things, these things privately. We've learned these things in private Bible studies and home Bible studies and Sunday schools and, and in our church, but they cannot stay here. They need to be proclaimed from every possible avenue in our lives. Faith, by its very nature, must be public. It can't be just kept private because we have a mission. How's this for encouragement? Don't be afraid because people can only kill you. Jesus wasn't a great motivational speaker, really, when you think about it. I mean, somebody needed to take him aside and try to stop him from saying these things. Oh, wait, they did. And it didn't work then either. Don't be afraid of those who can only kill the body. He's saying, look, what's the worst that could possibly happen? They kill you? Don't you have a judge in heaven who will bring you into eternal life? So what do you have to fear? And he says, rather be afraid of the one who can condemn us to hell. Man, that's so encouraging. Thank you, Jesus. I should be more afraid of the one that can assign my soul to eternal penalty. What's going on here? You see, in Scripture, the larger fear drives out the lesser fear. The problem is not just that we live in fear, but we live in fear of the wrong things. We need a larger fear to drive out the lesser fears of this world. And Paul picks up on this idea in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. He says, If God, what shall we, then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If my greater judge is God, not this world, if the thing I'm most afraid of is my own eternal salvation, and I have the promise of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, What should I possibly be afraid of in this world? They can't touch us. Oh, they can hurt us. We can lose things. We could even lose our lives. But the promise of the gospel is that that which is more important than even our earthly lives is secure through Jesus Christ. Going back to Matthew, verses 29 to 31. He makes an interesting argument that I often think we get backwards. Have you ever thought, you know, I don't think God really cares about my day-to-day life. I just, I don't think I'm important enough. I mean, really what's going on in my life is just too insignificant. God's got to be more interested in all the really big, important stuff in the world. And Jesus turns that on his head, on its head. He says, look, doesn't God know what's going on with the sparrows that are just worth nothing? Doesn't God care for them? Aren't you worth more than them? Don't ever let that lie ruminate in your head that you aren't worth enough for God to pay attention to you. Because Jesus says the opposite. He says you are worth far more than many things that God pays intimate attention to. How much more so will he pay attention to us? Jesus gives three reasons here in this section not to be afraid. Don't be afraid because God sees everything. Nothing is hidden. Don't be afraid because people, they can only kill you. But they cannot take your eternal soul from you. They cannot assign you to heaven or hell. Don't be afraid of them. 
And don't be afraid because we know that God cares for what we would call the most insignificant details in creation. And if he cares for those things, how much more so will he care for us? These truths that Jesus gives us here, they form a a safety rope as we step out on this mission. And we're so afraid we're going to fail or we're going to fall. And we've got these truths to hold on to. Jesus is teaching his apostles and us, know these things. Understand who I am. Draw close to Christ and get to know him. See, this is part of the problem. We have an insecure safety rope because we don't know the one who has sent us on the mission in the first place. And we need the safety rope of truth because the mission is truly difficult. And truly important. Look at verses 32 to 42. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take up their cross, or whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. This is deep. This is heavy stuff. And, and again, if you're coming from a background that just says Jesus wants you to be happy and healthy and, and just everything to go easy all the time, this doesn't make any sense. We must allow our picture of Christ and our picture of our relationship with Christ to be driven by the word of God, not by our, our own psychological ideas. He talks about how important this mission is because there are eternal consequences. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. There are eternal consequences at stake here. If we are unwilling to publicly acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Can we truly say that we are Christians? Think about it another way. Let's go back to the lifeguard illustration. If I'm a lifeguard, and every time somebody is drowning, I refuse to get out of the chair and enter the water, can I truly be called a lifeguard? No, I'm just somebody that sits there and watches. Jesus is saying these things matter. There's an important truth in these verses as well. Our salvation depends on Jesus' declaration about us, not just our own idea about ourselves. You can't earn your way into heaven. What matters is that the Son of God looks at you and says, you are mine. And that happens as we accept him as our Lord and Savior through the cross and the resurrection. 
These things have eternal consequences. In verse 34, he talks about he didn't come to bring peace in this life. He didn't just come to make us happy. In fact, the gospel will often uproot so many of our earthly relationships. And here I think it's important to understand that the peace here, he's talking about peaceful situations, not a peaceful attitude. There are other places in scripture where it talks about Jesus gives us peace. That's an inward peace. Oh, the world may be raging around us and we may be in the middle of a storm, but we can have peace. What Jesus is talking about here is that he doesn't necessarily come to calm every storm in our lives. There are times, often, we will not have situational peace in our lives. John 16.33 sums this up well, where Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you see the two different types of peace there? You can have peace even though in the world you're having trouble. So there's the inward peace that Jesus promises, but there's the outward peace that he says you're going to go through great difficulty. Verses 35 through 37 is a very difficult passage. What Jesus is saying is that the gospel will threaten our relationships often. And maybe, again, you've seen this in your own life. Maybe you've had children turn against you because you follow Jesus. Maybe you've had parents turn against you, loved ones turn against you. Understand that Jesus, throughout his teaching, upholds the Old Testament teaching that we must honor our father and mother. He upholds that we must love our children. He's not saying give up on these relationships. Paul goes to great lengths in his letters to talk about rules of a Christian household. Husbands loving wives, wives loving husbands, parents loving children. Okay? So I want to put this in context. This isn't just, you don't care about those people because they're not Christians. No, no, that's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is, be ready. Because by following Jesus Christ, those people may turn against you. And those people may attack you and say that you are turning against them. And he's removing an excuse here. The excuse is, I can't follow Jesus because I might offend so-and-so. And he says, you've got to follow. You've got to follow. The mission is that important. In verses 38 to 39, he makes his point very clear. And if you've slept through everything else, wake up for this. This is important. All of it's important, but this is the summary. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. To take up your cross and follow Jesus. That phrase has been around for so long, but if we look at it in their context at that that time, anyone who was taking up a cross and going somewhere was going to be crucified. They were going to their death. That's what it means. We have so many beautiful Christian metaphors about that today, but in their culture, when he says that to his disciples, they are hearing someone is going to their execution. A criminal is going to their execution, or at least somebody Rome thought was a criminal. Taking up your cross and following Jesus. 
means that you are singularly focused on the mission of the gospel in this world and ready to sacrifice everything else in your life for the sake of that mission. I would love to sugarcoat that for you and make it much easier to accept, but that's what it means. It is abandoning all else and saying Jesus is more important. If our highest priority in this world is finding our lives, finding ourselves, finding our happiness, we're not focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus takes it further. He says, not only are you missing it, you're going to lose your life because of it. There's going to be a lot of people that end up in hell because they were so busy seeking what would make them happy. Jesus says, take up your cross. Follow me. In the rest of this passage, verse 40, he talks about there are those that will help others along the way. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. He talks about the blessing that comes to those who welcomes a prophet, those who give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones. And what he's saying here in this context is anyone who helps those on gospel mission will be encouraged and blessed themselves. So we need to help each other. Because it is a difficult and lonely mission to walk for Jesus Christ and to serve him in this world. That's why God brings us together in local churches. We need to help one another and encourage each other. The mission is difficult. Jesus tells this to his disciples right at the beginning. And he's letting all of us know this as well. I think it really is a pity that this has become so obscured in Christian teaching today. And I get it because I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel joy. I want you to feel happiness. I do. But above and beyond all of that, I want you to know truth. Because I would hate for you to be temporarily happy and endure eternal suffering. I would rather us be temporarily unhappy and be able to have eternal joy. And that's what's at stake. And so I want to challenge us. As Jesus challenged his apostles, number one, are we willing to accept that the mission is hard? And number two, are we willing to admit we get easily distracted? We get distracted by fear. We get distracted by earthly priorities. We get distracted by our own comfort and by people liking us. We get distracted by trying to make everything go our ways. We get distracted by American politics and sports teams and pastimes. And those things are good in their proper place with their proper priority. But when they become ultimate, they take the place of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen on social media, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, state things about the political situation and say, if you don't agree with me, I can't be friends with you. And I wonder how many of us would search our heart and say, you know, I would never post that, but man, I really think that way. If we are willing to sever relationships with a brother or sister in Jesus Christ over some political situation, we have to ask ourselves, 
Are we worshiping Christ? Or are we worshiping an idol? These things matter. The mission matters. And sometimes the distraction isn't cute, three fluffy dogs. Sometimes it's the ugliness of scenes on the TV of riots and upheavals and politicians making speeches. And it seems so important, and it is in its proper place. But it is less important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always. Christians. The mission is difficult, but it is so important. Lives are at stake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we be challenged through a passage like this. And Father, may that challenge be an encouragement to keep going, that we are not alone, that the church has faced great difficulty throughout the ages, even from the very beginning when you sent your apostles out. This is not new. This is not a surprise to you in any way, shape, or form. And God, may we as Christians be willing to follow you on the gospel mission wherever it goes and whatever it might lead us to. Father, I know there is joy along the way. There is great joy in serving you. But there is also great hardship. And I pray as you challenged your disciples, your apostles early on, may we not get sidetracked. May we not give up just because things get difficult. But may we truly ask ourselves in those moments, what am I trusting in? Do I believe in the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That all who believe in Jesus will be saved. And if that is true, may we never let anything else sidetrack us from that most important mission. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.